You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. We'll start reading at verses 18 to 25. So Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you've revealed yourself to us through Jesus and through the word, Lord. And I pray that you would um, soften our hearts this morning to receive what you want us to, to learn and what you want us to grasp this morning as we go through the story of Joseph. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I don't know about you people, but if my fiance showed up at my house one day with a obvious baby bump, um, I think I'd be kind of suspicious, right? Like an angry and hurt and confused kind of suspicious, and I'd be like, there better be a good explanation for that, right? Uh, I'm sure we'd all feel like that. So, so even today, it's easy to understand then how Joseph's first reaction upon finding out that, that Mary's pregnant is, is to divorce her. I mean, it, it makes sense in that circumstance, I think. And, and just in case you're wondering why the word divorce is used, since they're, they're only engaged, it's because even though they were just engaged, or rather uh, betrothed, in those days in, in Jewish custom, betrothal was just as strong as, as marriage is today. Maybe even stronger than marriage is today, to be honest. Because once you were betrothed, Back then, it meant you were already promised legally to one another through an agreement that's made with, with their parents and everything like that. So, so it was a big deal to be betrothed, uh, which means it was also a big deal for, for Joseph to, to make a decision to divorce Mary. I mean, the re- repercussions would have been huge for all involved. It wasn't a decision that, that he would have made lightly, right? But it was one that was definitely in accordance with Jew, Jewish law. And Joseph, he, he's, he's a righteous, he's a God-fearing man. He wants to do what's just. Uh, and he probably felt this was the best course of action. Uh, not to mention that he probably also felt hurt and betrayed, right? We have to, we have to understand. He, he probably felt really hurt and betrayed in this moment. Because, I mean, she hadn't been assaulted for all, for all he knew. Uh, and he definitely knew it wasn't his baby and so in his mind, there, there was only one possible explanation, that she must have cheated on him, right? And I can imagine him thinking, or maybe even saying to Mary, you know, there better be a good explanation for that. But the problem is, is that her answer to that, her, her explanation, is laughable. 
right? It's, it's impossible. It's crazy even. Well, I swear, I'm pregnant by God's power, by the Holy Spirit, by a miracle, right? If someone told you that, you'd be like, yeah, right. Nice try, right? And honestly, we have no idea if Mary did try to tell Joseph this or not. But if she had, I mean, Joseph would have probably felt like she just thought of him as stupid or gullible, you know, to believe something like that. And so, again, it's no surprise that Joseph, his, his only option is seemingly to plan for divorce here. How could he get married to someone who has already been unfaithful to him? But as it says in verse 19, and, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So that last part is important, the last part of that verse. He could have called her out, right? He could have shamed her publicly for her betrayal. He probably could have even had her stoned to death for her adultery. But he didn't. He planned to do it discreetly to, to respect her as, as, as much as the situation is allowed and already this is saying a lot about the character of Joseph, who, who he is. Even though he's hurt both his justness and his compassion as a man of God prevails here. He wants to do what's right according to Jewish law, yet without putting Mary to shame. And I'm pointing that out because I don't think, no, no offense, I don't think many of us would have such mercy and, and grace under these circumstances. Right? When we're angry and when we're hurt. And so, so we, I think we can learn from Joseph's actions here that when we're at odds with someone or, or hurt by someone close to us or when we're offended, which is really popular these days, it's, it's a fad to be offended, I think. And we can and should resolve these situations justly, absolutely, but also mercifully. No matter how tempting it might be, uh, we should resolve our issues with one another without shaming the other person through you know, public outcries or Facebook posts or talking about them behind their backs. Especially because that's the way of the world. We're called to be set apart from the world, right? That's the way of the world to get back at others by you know, publicly tweeting about their misdeeds and spreading their name through the dirt and wrecking their lives because they wrecked our lives, right? That's, that's the way of the world. And that's not the way of love and grace and mercy. It's, it's really just the way of refusing to believe that, that God will have the final word on justice. But Joseph, rather, in, in seeking justice, he models mercy and compassion here, even in the midst of an incredibly hurtful situation. And we can learn from that. But as Joseph will soon find out, the situation also isn't what it seems. What Joseph will soon find out, in fact, is that the Messiah is about to come into his life and is going to turn his life upside down. It's going to turn his life upside down, which is always what happens when Jesus comes into our lives. Right? He turns it upside down. He changes everything. By grace, he shows up offering forgiveness of sins, peace with God, redemption, hope of eternal life. Ephesians 2, verses 8, 2, verse 8 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So Jesus comes into our life by grace. It's a gift. But the question for us and for Joseph is, is how do we receive and respond to this gift, this good news of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us? 
And what's worth drawing attention to today is that Joseph receives and responds to this gift by committing in faithful obedience. By committing in faithful obedience. Which is what we'll be learning then as we go through Joseph's story this morning, that part of what it means to, to receive and respond to the good news of Jesus by faith, or rather, what it means to prepare him room, is to obey him. To prepare him room is to obey him. Aram room is to obey him. In, in fact, as I've mentioned, um, Joseph was a God-fearing man who was already seeking to obey the law. We already saw that. But it seems like something about this whole ordeal was, was already bothering him. Like, maybe there was something more going on, going on with Mary that, that he just couldn't explain. Right? And so, so he's, he's thinking about it, and he's considering it that evening, and then he falls asleep with it weighing on his mind, no doubt. This is probably a struggle for him. And that's when the angel Gabriel appears to him in a dream, the first of four dreams that he has. And the angel says to him, Matthew 20, 21, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So two, two pieces of good news here that the angel brings. Right? First, Mary hadn't been unfaithful to him. In fact, it was quite the opposite story. She had been a woman of incredible faith. So that's the first bit of good news, which leads to the second piece of even better good news, that her baby is the promised Messiah conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's, he's holy. He's the Son of God. He's God with us, and he's, he's coming to save his people from their sin. Best dream ever, right? And this is, and this is his response. He, he obeys the word of the Lord. No matter how strange or or surprising it might seem, he obeys. He takes Mary as his wife, and he doesn't even consummate the marriage until after Jesus is born. An incredible example of obedience right there. I thought I would get one laugh at least. Uh, Or at least an awkward laugh. (laughs) No, over the heads. But seriously, think of how difficult... It would have been at the time for, for Joseph to take Mary as his wife. Think, think of the social judgment and accusations that probably went on. I mean, I doubt the stares and, and the rumors from those living in their small town were, were fun to deal with, especially back then. Everyone likely assuming that, you know, either they must have got pregnant before their marriage or, or that Mary must have cheated on him. And if that's the case, then the baby is a bastard and Joseph must be a pushover. You, you know, who knows what people would have thought and said about them or to them, it was probably pretty difficult. But even beyond the societal pressure, Joseph is also being asked by the Lord, or commanded rather, to, to be a father figure to a child that isn't his. It's certainly an honor because it's the Son of God. But Messiah or not, that's, that's a pretty huge commitment. That's a huge commitment. And to make matters more demanding, he's not even allowed to name the child, which was a father's duty and right in that culture. So in other words, he's being asked to lay down his, his self-determination and responsibility as a Jewish man and, a, and husband. But yet in all of this, 
he obeys. He marries Mary, he's faithful to her, and he protects her. He names the child Jesus, and then he faithfully raises him with Mary as his own. His obedience, but that's not all. His, his, his example of obedience comes up again and again throughout the Christmas story. After the, the wise men show up to, to, Jesus, to worship Jesus as their king and Messiah, this happens. Matthew 2, 13 to 23. Now when the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. So, so he has a second dream here and this time he's being told to take his family with him and protect them by, by hiding out in Egypt because Jesus' life is in danger. And he obeys. Leaves his life his, his work, his extended family, his home. He, just, he leaves it all behind in the night to go into hiding into this strange country. But there's still more. There's, there's more obedience. Matthew 2, 19 to 23. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So the, the theme of Joseph's life at that time was an angel of the Lord told him what to do, and he obeyed. An angel of the Lord told him what to do, and he obeyed. Four times that happened. Four times an angel appeared to him in a dream, and four times he obeyed the word of the Lord. And, and one thing I have to point out as well is that his obedience not only kept Mary and Jesus safe and secure throughout Jesus' birth and childhood, but just as importantly, his, his obedience also contributed to the fulfillment of at least six major and important prophecies concerning the Messiah. That's huge. Six major and important prophecies concerning the Messiah. Number one, that Jesus would be born in the line of David. Joseph's adoption of Jesus as his own ensured this. That's why the angel of the Lord said, reminded him in the dream, son of David, Right? Number two, that the Messiah would be named Jesus, as foretold by the angels. Number three, that the Messiah would be born to a virgin, since he didn't consummate the marriage until after he was born. Number four, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, which came to pass only because he obediently married Mary, which ensured that she would have had to travel him for the census. Number five, that the Son of God would come out of Egypt, which happened because he obediently fled to Egypt. And number six, and finally, that Jesus would be called a Nazarene, which came about because Joseph obeyed the angel of the Lord's warning and settled his family in Nazareth. Again, he contributed to the fulfillment of at least six significant prophecies, and if we studied it closer, probably more. Prophecies that needed to come to pass in order to prove Jesus was who he claimed to be. 
All this happened because he simply obeyed. It's crazy to think that, that without Joseph's obedience, none of that would have come to pass the way it did. The prophecies would have still been left unchecked, left as contradictions for, for doubters to pick at. Oh, how can the Messiah come out of Egypt and come out of Nazarene and be born in Bethlehem? It's contradictions, right? I imagine we all know the song, Mary, Did You Know? But we could also ask, did Joseph know how significant his obedience to the Lord would be? What impact his obedience would have in contributing to the purpose and will of God's plan of redemption for the whole world? Maybe he knew a little bit. I mean, he he knew Jesus was the Savior coming to bring forgiveness of sins. The angel told him that in his dream. But he probably didn't know how much his obedience would lay the groundwork in proving that Jesus was truly the Messiah as prophesied. And I, and I, don't, I don't know about you guys, but it, it makes me rethink and even take deeper to heart Jesus' words to his disciples when he says in John fourteen fifteen, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You know, out of context, it sounds like Jesus is being bossy here. But Joseph's story reminds us that, that keeping Jesus' commandments is about more than just being good or, or just doing what we're told or just living moral lives. It reminds us that there's a deeper purpose and wonder behind it all. You know, I think sometimes we tend, tend to, to, to doubt or, or try to cross the line or, or we try to ask, you know, what's the point in following Jesus' commands? What's the harm if I do or if I don't? What does it matter? What difference does it make? Why is God so controlling anyway? Well, the reasons are probably bigger than we know. Our obedience to Jesus is more important and significant to God's plan than we realize. Seriously, when God asks us to give him room by obeying him, do we ever consider or think about how important or what kind of impact our obedience might have in his kingdom? It certainly gets me thinking. This idea that that one simple act of obedience, big or small, can bring about the fulfillment and plan of God in our lives and in others' lives. Or that every time we're obedient to his word, we might just create a, a ripple and even a huge impact in the advancement of the gospel and God's plan of redemption. Of course, Joseph's obedience had a huge impact because it was directly concerned with the birth of Jesus and and all that that meant. But that doesn't negate the fact that our obedience to the Lord is important and significant as well. In fact, every time we're obedient to the Lord, in, um, in word and deed, are we not also bringing about the proclamation of Jesus and his kingdom? Are we not also proving our faith and living out the salvation that we've received in Jesus? So we can safely argue that that as Joseph exemplifies to us here, to prepare Jesus' room is to obey. If we love him, we'll obey him. Especially with the knowledge of knowing that that our obedience to him has a deeper purpose and and impact than we can know or or realize. Um, Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them or or be obedient in them. 
And since God prepared these good works beforehand, that can't be for nothing. When we're obedient to God, even in the smallest things, even when we're by ourselves like Joseph was that night when the angel first came to him, or even when it feels like our, our obedience is purposeless, or, or when it's challenging, when we're obedient, we're making an impact. We're accomplishing God's purposes that he prepared beforehand. So again, to prepare Jesus' room is to obey him. And again, Joseph exemplified this in, in multiple ways. Three ways specifically. First of all, he shows us that to be obedient is to listen. To be obedient is to listen. To listen to the word of the Lord. Joseph obviously received audible commands from a messenger of God and an angel of the Lord. And while we may or may not ever have this kind of experience, though, though recently, uh, in the past couple of years, there have been hundreds of reports of Muslims in the Middle East having these kinds of dreams and waking up, uh, giving their lives to Jesus, which is incredible, right? Um, there's been report after report of this happening in the last couple of years. Uh, but whether we experience that or not, what we do have and can trust in is the written word of the Lord, our, our Bible, right? In it, we find how we're called to live and obey as Jesus' disciples, to love God, love our neighbor, proclaim the gospel, make disciples, worship fully, seek justice, love mercy, right? The list goes on and on. It's in there. We know how we're called to obey. But the point is, first of all, that to know how to obey, we must make room in our hearts and minds to seek the word of the Lord. And we need to listen. We need to know what Jesus has asked us to do in order to do it. That's just common sense. So we need to listen and, and receive that. Secondly, we, we learn from Joseph that obedience takes courage. Obedience takes courage. Right? He, had, he had courage to stand up against the norms of society as he marries a pregnant woman. Courage to protect and shelter his family from danger. Courage to be obedient and travel to strange places. Courage to surrender his self-determination, his way of life and trust in God. And courage to lay down his life and commitment to Jesus, no matter what. To obey takes courage. And, and as Christians, we need to, to learn this and, and expect this. There's a, a story in Acts where uh, the apostles Peter and John are arrested and they're brought before the council of the Sanhedrin. And, and these are the elite Pharisees, religious people of the day, right? And, and uh, Peter and John are, are beaten in front of them and told not to talk about Jesus anymore. But they respond with courage. And they say that they can't stop because they'd be disobeying God. Then upon being released, they immediately go join with other believers. And what do they do? They pray for more boldness. They pray for more courage. Because they know being obedient to Jesus takes courage. Courage to admit we're sinners in need of grace. Courage to lay down our crowns, as, as Blair talked about last week. Courage to trust in God alone. Courage to go where he sends us. Or courage to stay where we're at. Courage to stand our ground, to, to persevere in, in our worship and in our proclamation of Jesus' name, even in the midst of, of possible public ridicule or social disdain or being disowned by your family or, or even in the midst of persecution, which isn't that real for us, but is very real for many Christians, especially in the, the East today. 
a whole church in China just got arrested last week. Let's be honest. Sometimes it, it, it just takes all the courage in the world to, just to talk to someone new at church, right? Or, or raise our hands and worship when the Spirit is leading. To obey requires courage. As Timothy Keller writes, if you want Jesus in your life, it is going to take bravery. Courage to take the world's scorn. Courage to do something our culture thinks is absolutely crazy. You're going to have to commit to denying yourself. And most fundamentally, you can't know Jesus unless you have the courage to admit you are a sinner. Matthew one twenty one says about Jesus to Joseph. It says, He will save his people from their sins. That's the, the chief purpose, that, that, that Jesus came to dwell with man in order to, to, to forgive us of our sins so that we can be reconciled with God. So Joseph's obedience to Jesus began with and is grounded in this truth. Which means that the third thing we can learn from Joseph's story today is that in order to obey, we must first repent of our sins. We must first receive the free gift of grace that Jesus won for us in his death and resurrection. Because we can't truly and, and fully obey God unless, unless we've been first washed and made new by the blood of Christ. Otherwise, it's just works. It's just, it's just empty religion. And besides, would we truly be able to, to persevere and listen to the word of the Lord or courageously obey Jesus' commands if we didn't first know Jesus and, and what he did for us at the cross and, and who we're called to be in him? Timothy Keller again writes, how, how will you get the strength to be courageous like that? By looking at Jesus himself. Because if you think it takes courage to be with him, consider that it took infinitely more courage for him to be with you. There was nobody so perfect in obedience to God. And nobody so courageous in their obedience than Jesus, to the point of taking the weight of our sin at the cross. So we can learn from Joseph's obedience, but it's Jesus' willing and humble obedience that enables us and gives us both a new heart and the indwelling Holy Spirit to obey, as Joseph did. It's only by receiving and knowing the love of Christ as shown to us at the cross that we can love him back. It's only when we're filled with the Holy Spirit that we're equipped and capable of keeping his commandments. It's only when we encounter Jesus by his grace that we'll respond in faith and worship through obedience. Which is also one of the primary reasons that Jesus instructs us to, to take communion. It's, it's to remind us that it's all about him, that we need him. It's to remind us to look to him because we need his perfect righteousness to, righteousness to cover us and lead us. So on that note, we're, we're going to take this opportunity right now to obey his word by receiving communion.